0: The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob
1: Black talking money, investing and more. In the first segment, we talked a little about renting versus buying and there's no shame in being a renter, especially if you're in a rent control type of area where you're able to save more. I think both are right answers. Saving and buying a home and renting a home they're all great. Having proper insurance is part of the formula as well.'t if, if you don't insure things you know you can kick over dead and like someone that needs you um, could be left in, in fits and starts, so to speak. So one of the things I want to get at in this segment, having already talked about someone who walked away from owning a home, is I was recently in a foreign land, and they said, "Wait, wait you can sell your home net six figures, seven figures. Like, why are you still working? Why are you still doing this? I'm like, that's a pretty good question. And it's because I've got investment mentality when it comes to real estate with the financial crisis, 10 years behind us. A lot of investors are done with licking their wounds and we're like, "Woohoo! life is good. Happy days are here again. Stock markets long since recovered and went up eight straight years. Will it be nine? Americans were told long ago that a home was part of a key investment. I remember being a young man, and the man sitting with me right now is Tony Mendez, Bay com. We were both young men together in college times. And um back then, you know, you're talking the early nineties, a home was an investment. Americans were long told it was an investment, essential to building wealth and getting into the middle class or staying there. A lot of people were hit hard by the housing crash that left tens of millions of people owning their homes worth very little both in 2006 as well as in the early 90s. Uh, Housing went through a major, major crash. Homeownership is not an investment. It's a lifestyle choice for those wanting the freedom of owning your own home and land. People who assume a strong rate of return on their home purchase, they're living in the 1990s. Can we get a little um, um, Bon Jovi? A little living on a prayer? We need some 90s to pull us out of this. Maybe a little bit of grunge to pull us out of this. So people who assume a strong rate of return are living in that 90s kind of mentality. The commercials then were, you know, buy real estate. And then sometimes when uh, Trump and North Korea start talking about nuclear weapons, it's buy gold. There's always going to be something out there. Over time, homeownership has worked well, but only for those who are sensible. Don't speculate with the house you live in. In fact... I would probably consider buying less of a house to live in and consider more of your investments in real estate tied towards duplexes and other ways of of cash flowing properly. Um, Buy within your means. Buy where you want to live. Buy slow. Buy smart. Know that over time, the housing market's been as stable of a vehicle for growth as the stock market. But that's over time and not in the short period. It's not meant to be wow, I made a lot of money in the last five years. Time to cash out. Tony Mendez, Bay Area Loan Do you look at the housing market as in the 1990s um, as an investment? It was a big, big theme back in the
2: 90s. Well, it wasn't something that we were taught.
1: Uh, you brought me back
2: uh, quite a few years, and I tried to put myself back in my 20s and early 30s, and it, it didn't sound like, something that we were taught it was more
1: something of this is what we want to get this is what we want to do we want well, there to place was commercials them. on foreclosures i don't know if you remember the 90s they she might have moved fast for you but buy a home in auction
2: i and i think that was the first the first time i i remember hearing about real estate being an investment and, and a way to make money uh, we had a friend that went down to houston and was buying trust deeds and all he would do is just buy a piece of paper and then turn around and sell it um and we were like is it that easy is it a scam Uh, So the mentality has definitely changed, especially when you do see a place like the Bay Area, especially if you grew up in the Bay Area, you've definitely seen it uh, where you're looking at double, triple digits in some cases, returns on your investment, but where we really see people making the commitment and for a long time, retirement and real estate were not used in the same sentence. It is today, but it it wasn't in the past. Uh, People would do one or the other. Um, and the people who really concentrated on real estate uh, were doing really with their primary residence, because that wasn't their main goal. It was a house over there, you know, a roof over their head. It was, they would aim towards rental properties or some sort of um, vacation property that they could rent out. And, um, and it was always like, Hey, we're going to go to the beach, you know, three or four times a year. Why don't we own that property instead of, um, instead of renting out and that's rented to other people and start making some money. And that was like the East coast mentality and the West coast mentality was similar in, in some respects, but we, they watched their, their primary residence go up and then they saw rents kind of fluctuating. And, um, uh, so it, it really kind of depends on, on when you start and what you were taught when you were younger. I I think today a lot more people are savvy about it.
1: Tony is my mortgage lender, and I've done numerous mortgage loans through him. And you can trust him, and he'll do your paperwork right, and he'll get you the best product for you. He got me a loan, get this, 3.2%, which is pretty good for a 30-year fixed. I would be loco in the cocoa to ever give up that mortgage because it's low cost of money. That's a lot of money. And like it's like almost like walking into a casino. It's, it's not like walking into a casino. I should be very cautious how I say this. It's almost too good to be true. My dad never got that much money for that low of a cost. So anyway, Robert Johnson, president of the American College of Financial Services, he said that homeowners appear to be, homes appear to be stable investments because you don't get minute-to-minute price fluctuations, and that's true. And I look at my house, it's up 50% in the last eight years. And you know what would have been a better investment for me? Living in Tony's extra spare room and putting my mortgage cost in the stock market because I would have been up 125%. But I had, like, I want to own a home. I want it to be mine. I want to come back on Fridays and sit in the backyard and have pina coladas. I would have charged you a lot, though. Yeah. There would have been in some In my cost spare room. room. But yeah. then the, the cost of the home, also the property taxes, the amount of paint that I put on the walls, I would have been up a lot more. But, again, because you don't see home prices published in the newspaper every day and you only look at the long-term gains, people are smoking the.
2: Do you remember that when, when home prices were posted in the newspaper? You'd mm-hmm. pick up the Sunday paper and it'd show you the, what, what the home sold for. And that, that was our way of getting the information. I don't remember remember that.
1: that. Newspapers. Tell me more about them.
2: (laughs) They were those pieces of paper that had information on it that we used to pick up in the driveway every morning.
1: So leverage. And I hear this from people who are in real estate clubs, which I find real estate clubs to be kind of silly. It's like, hey, everyone, let's come talk about how great real estate is. And let's talk about great properties you can buy. And oh, by the way, I've got a piece of uh, the, the, the owner of the real estate club is like, I happen to be a mortgage lender that I'm not really telling you that, but it's passive aggressively I'm marketing this. So if you come to the real estate club, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to be pushing how great real estate is because you're going to probably do business with me or they're tied towards the property or they're tied towards the realtor or they're tied towards the 1031 guy or they're tied towards the attorney. Um, Be very cautious on clubs per se. Um, Clubs can get you in trouble. So, anyway, let's talk quickly, um, not about leverage. Let's save that conversation for later in the show. You can find Tony Mendez at Bay Area Loan You can find me at Rob Black Show. Anytime there's a seminar, Tony's show is up. So, if you want to talk real estate, you can. He's my guy. CFP Chad Burton's in the mix as well. You can find him at Newfocusfinancial.com, That's where I'm at. You can find me at New Focus Financial or Rob Black Show. That's RobBlackshow.com. Check me out. Um, if there's a seminar, use code radio25 to get in for free. If you want to start figuring out real estate investments, property ideas, contact Tony at loansourcecom Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves, weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't night replay at 7. A couple things. I'll do stories from time to time on things that may not make sense to you, but they make sense to me, and I'm sorry about that. I totally know that there's a break, but if I do a story about Chick-fil-A or Taco Bell coming out with some sort of new scramble or some sort of new taco... taco Bell. I think Taco Bell is doing just crazy stuff with their food, and I recently saw they're turning a fried egg into a taco shell. Uh, which is pretty cool. And uh, I, I don't know why it's cool, but it's kind of cool to me. Um, I'm old. I'm older. When I was 20, I'd be like, let's go a Taco Bell. Now I'm like, I can't do it. The sodium will kill me. My doctor told me not to. But it's the millennials that I care about on this show a lot as far as driving trends. And when you understand trends, demographics, and census data, you can do a lot as an investor. Um, one of the very first things that I, I did when I got into this industry was I, I studied the census and I studied population growth and you know demographics in the United States. Uh, just saying. It's, joining me now, Tony Mendez, Source dot com. Mr. Mendez, how are you? I'm well. Good morning. Good morning. Talk about buying points. It's one of those things that confuses a lot of people because it's kind of contentious. Wait, I'm spending $600,000 on a mortgage and you want me to spend another $12,000? And I've always bought points if I'm going to stay in the house over three years, four years, maybe five years. But I always consider it if it's not going to be a flip.
3: When you get a mortgage, the there's a cost associated with it and you can pay additional costs that are associated with the rate called discount points. You can also pay origination points. We're purely talking about discount points and that discount point is a percentage of your loan amount. So yeah, if you're getting a $600,000 loan and you're paying one point, you're paying $6,000 in addition to buy down that rate. And the general rule of thumb is if you Interest rates are in the lower range. You don't buy points. If in their higher range, you may consider buying points. And the reason let's stop is, for is a because
1: second. Uh, let's stop for a second. A point. A lot of people don't know because our math system and our grammar isn't the best. A point is a hundred basis points equals one point. A basis. A point is a percentage, right? Yes. So you can cut your mortgage rate maybe if you buy a point from 4% to 3%. That's the idea.
3: It's the idea. And then at some level, the lender will cut it off and make it just too expensive for you to buy it down. The whole theory of buying down a rate with using points is to um, stay in the property long enough so that that lower rate and the lower payment that comes along with it will pay you, back more than the cost of that point.
1: Okay. I follow. Um, So mathematically, that's something you do for clients. You, you show them, okay, here's your 30 year option. Here's your 15 year option. Here's your seven year arm option. Now, what I would say is if you buy points on the 30-year, maybe down the road, you're not in the house, but you'll have a lower mortgage rate that can turn it into a rental. It can help your cash flow a little easier. Short-term pain, long-term gain. You show clients all of this stuff, right?
3: Right, and and, and it's what changes on a daily basis. Something that I always tell people when we first start talking is that rates don't change. It's the price of the rate that changes. So it's really important that you have some sort of interactive Uh, And I use spreadsheets uh, that I can simply just change the the pricing so you can see the comparison between, let's say, for example, 4%, and if you drop it to 3 and an eighth or 3.75, and how much that costs in points and what your payback period is. And that's really important to know because you are paying more costs, but you are getting a lower payment with it. When does it make sense, and how long does it make sense for you to stay in that house before it starts benefiting you? So the, usually the longer you stay there, the more it's going to benefit you.
1: Okay. Now, changing topics from buying points, should you or shouldn't you? Have we covered everything that we need to cover on that?
3: I think so. A
1: well, good relationship with your lender for- helps. Yeah.
3: It does. And, and it also, um, there's other options, and I, I hate to bore you with so many numbers, but there are other options and ways that you can pay points with origination that can help you get a lower rate. Again, the whole theory here is that the longer you stay in your property, the lower the rate will benefit you in the long run. And that's where points come into play.
1: I'm with you on that. And again, I like points, um, only because I always get oh. into real estate thinking I'm going to keep it for the long term.
3: And there are right tax benefits, too, by paying
1: points. If I were going to be in the property short term, I might go with just a five-year arm or I'm I'm going to go three. It's just too scary for me. Um, Or seven-year. And when I say scary, it's like when you set the term of your loan and then you decide to buy points or not, you really got to be comfortable with with the environment you're buying into. And, again, even like a three-year, Tony, I don't think people have a lot to be fearful of right now. It's not like interest rates are surging or have a, a, I think we're in a low interest rate environment, and this may be the new norm. Until we see otherwise, I'm and going to say that out loud. That
3: is the alternative to
1: getting a 30-year fixed and paying points. If you know you're going to stay in the property, you
3: might as well just get a, Five year ARM or seven year ARM, which are both the best priced arms in the market. But if you're going to stay in a house for three years, get a five year because you may stay there an extra couple of years. If you stay, if you were to five years, you get a seven year, and a seven year you get a ten year. And every time you shorten that term, the rate does drop. And it's in essence similar to what you would do by buying points, but you're not buying points. You're just taking a shorter term, which compensates. So it's all about payment, and it's all about your time frame in the property, and that's how the math plays out.
1: Okay. Anything else we need to hit up on, or is that about it for the points conversation?
3: That's that's about what you need to know until you start seeing a spreadsheet and see how it makes
1: sense for your scenario. Thanks very much. It's Tony Mendez. You can find him at com. It's com. Buying points is one of those, I'm not going to say contentious, but it is. a lot of people have problems with it because the whole buying a house, you're like, how much am I paying a realer? How much am I, you know, and then you buy points you're like, wait, wait, now you need to check for an extra $12,000 wired over? Why didn't you tell me? Like, it always feels like there's going to be more costs and more costs and more costs and they never end. Um, I've bought multiple properties in my lifetime and none of them have I ever gone, you know, that was pretty good. I feel comfortable with the whole process. Um, I like having a friend. I like having a um, someone I trust, a trusted person, uh, help me with these decisions. Um, and, I, and I'll say this, like sometimes you're going to look back and go, oh, I wish I would have bought points. Sometimes you're going to do that. That is going to happen. So, you know, trying to have a knowledgeable base of, of understanding of what you're bringing to the table in the first place is probably a pretty good idea. So you can find Tony Mendez at bayareallonesource.com. That's com. He also does a show here on KDOW AM 1220 Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. If you want to learn more about mortgages and real estate, He's a good guy to have on your team. As far as my team, I'm going to be doing real estate. Nope, nope, nope. I'm going to be doing investing seminars is what I do. Wealth Preservation Retirement Planning coming up soon. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Even businessmen that rob and steal and cheat from people every day, even they have to pay taxes. It's tax time with Rafael Tolino from the IRS, Internal Revenue Service. It's tax time. How are you, Mister Tolino?
0: Hi, Rob. I'm doing great. How about you? It's always fun doing uh, well. up there. We've been. Yeah, you're still uh, still doing your thing. glad to hear it.
1: Twenty plus years now. So and I've I know been some of it crossing paths with you many years ago, but um. Tell us how you landed at the IRS and what you do for the IRS.
0: Public affairs, uh, you know, so communication functions of all types, and uh, I was up there working in the radio business up there for a few years, and I got lucky. I applied for the gig um, while I was living up there, and this is 17, 16, it's almost 17 years, 16 and a half years ago. Anyway. Um, and I uh, was fortunate enough to get it and, and come down here. And I was talking to the, um, the gentleman that picked the, up the phone. I think it's it Mike? Yeah, you' his name right. Um, and uh, say, man, you uh, you know, radio. God loved it. I mean, it's a, it was so fun. But I'm very lucky to have this have this gig and have this ability. No question. Well, I'll tell you the
1: bad news about radio is most people in radio don't pay taxes. <laughs> so because they're okay, they're, so, they're that low um, income threshold.
0: Yeah, I hear you. You know what? Let me have the social <laughs> security numbers for everybody you know, Rob. No, just,
1: I'm with you on that one. So uh, Mr. Tolino, it's tax time. We're down to the final month, essentially. Um, One of the things I learned recently about filing taxes early is that's sometimes a good way of cutting down on fraud because the government has already checked you off as paid and in good standing and then someone sends in a fake return and uh, they're onto it, so to speak.
0: Yeah, we always uh, kind of uh, jump up and down and say, hey, file your return when you're ready, prepared, have all your re- uh, re- paperwork and such, and you're ready to file an accurate return the first time, right, all those kinds of things. But, uh, yeah, no question about it. If um, In the in the age we live in today, with all the resources we have, with all the detectors and the screens and the filters that are in place to make sure we're only sending out legitimate refunds, that's part of the arsenal you can have as a taxpayer is, um, is timing. Yeah, no question about that.
1: As I've gotten older, my taxes have gotten more complicated, and I've probably gotten a a letter or two more than usual from the IRS saying, you say you did this, but we only have a form for that. It used to stress me out to get that letter from the IRS. It doesn't stress me out anymore, but one of the things that stress does is it kind of makes you susceptible to scams when people feel like, oh, the IRS needs something. Let's talk IRS and scams and what people shouldn't stress over.
0: Right, and the way that you are receiving correspondence is the way we're doing it. We send out i don't know millions of letters every year to taxpayers, and usually they have something to do with hey we we have this form or this ten ninety nine or w two or this document that is a you know third party matching deal, which is what a ten ninety nine w two all those ten ninety eight all those forms are, and perhaps you omitted that, or on the other hand um uh, you know, we're asking about uh, you know this, that, the other. But anyway, you get the idea. Yeah. Uh, the letter part is a normal correspondence to it. And most of those end up being no change anyway, and they can be handled via a letter. So you shouldn't fret, just take care of business based on what the letter's asking about. But we certainly are, under no circumstance, are calling you out of the blue, demanding immediate tax payment, threatening arrest, threatening a lawsuit, threatening deportation. Uh, threatening uh, like a revocation of a business license because you haven't paid these taxes and need to pay them immediately. Uh, that's a scammer using the IRS as a lure, if you will, to get you to try to comply with them. Everything we're not doing is sending uninitiated emails into your inbox about who knows what, a nominal refund, a probe, a survey of this or that, the other, uh, you know, asking you to click on a link. That's phishing with a PH, as most people now know. And there's also spear phishing. You gotta be careful of that. But uh, uh, our normal correspondence, like I say, is a letter in the mail, not that random threatening phone call, and certainly not an uninitiated email. In fact, we don't even use email uh, for the most part. It's not uh, a very secure way to do business. So, yeah, get the idea.
1: Yeah, I, I totally hear you. And like I said, I've run in. With, I've had run-ins with the IRS that some people would deem as like you don't pay your taxes, you're cheating. I'm just Seems mine are more complicated than most, and I no longer stress when I get a letter from the friendly IRS agent. Just open it up. And you,
0: as I say, and like I say, like I say, you respond to the other thing is uh, on that note is you shouldn't pay any more tax than you owe. You should take advantage of every tax benefit, deduction, credit that you're eligible for legally, of course, uh, to lower your bill and/or increase your refund. And that's what it's there for in terms of all those benefits in the code. You just kind uh, of file that return and. Uh, make sure you get it done right in terms of if you're doing it yourself, the software's going to hold your hand. Or if you're a client to a tax professional like a CPA, which about 55% of us are in terms of numbers every year, it's more than half, for sure, who outsource uh, preparation to a tax professional. So choose wisely, of course, there, because um, you want that return done, you want all those benefits, but... Yeah, uh, You want to make sure it's accurate because you're the one uh, responsible once you sign it. So really uh, be careful when you choose somebody doing your return for you. No no question there.
1: Tax day falls on the 15th, which is a Sunday on April, so don't owe it on Sunday. Uh, Monday is a D.C. holiday, so don't owe it on 16th. 17th looks like it's the filing day this year if people want to yep. procrastinate as long as they can.
0: Yep, 17th today. And like you said, that, that D.C. holiday was... I don't remember when, but a few years ago, it was made into a law that folks in D.C., and I think it had something to do with Patriot's Day somewhere in New England area, too. uh, Those two together, uh, folks there got an extra day, so we all get an extra day. So that's kind of how that works. But uh, if you can't get it done, it's exactly, basically a month from now, right? uh, Take the extension of time to file. It's always worth mentioning you have that extra six months. But uh, if you owe or you think you owe, then uh, the 17th is still your deadline. Otherwise, you risk some penalties or interest that can accrue on your account. Um, if you have a requirement to file, and you have a balance due, and you can't full pay, do file the return. The penalties for that, the interest, for the, you know, the penalties for not filing uh, when you have a return with a balance due is much greater than filing and not full paying. And the IRS is flexible. We realize folks can't full pay, but file that return and let's work it out over time, payments over time, that kind of thing. But uh, you know, certainly the flexibility is there to work with folks, but the key, uh, like I say, is filing a return if you have a balance too. And that way, you avoid uh, you know increases down the road you don't want to see.
1: Now, there is not a lot of people in the Bay Area who qualify as low income who can afford to live here, but the IRS does have some low income programs for filing online e filing. Uh, tell us a little bit about e filing and some of the thresholds where people should be.
0: Right, um, e-file is available for everybody, and it's free. And yeah, obviously the the income levels up there are skewed a bit differently. In fact, all of California is really. I mean, it is for me down here in San Diego for the most part. But free comes in two avenues: um, free electronic filing through the Free File program on IRS.gov, which is a public partnership with uh, private software. Uh, providers. And uh, if your income is $66,000 or less, you can use one of those software providers for free to file a federal income tax return. So you'll find out more on irs.gov, And the key is using irs.gov as a portal, if you will, to get to the free file program and then click out of our site and into the software provider you choose to choose that software for free. The other thing is um, Voluntary Income Tax Assistance, or VITA, which is uh, many, many sites up and running all around the Bay Area at different hours and locations with different community partners that uh, offer free tax prep for lower- to moderate-income individuals and families. Simpler returns, generally about $54,000 or less, and you get free tax prep. So for those folks, and there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people who fall in that category who sometimes fail to take advantage of free, but uh, always nice to make mention of those resources.
1: Mr. Celino with the IRS, anything else that you want to mention in your two or three minutes that we have left?
0: Uh, I don't know. We always have... It. Oh, you know what's good to make mention of that we didn't is the new tax law that came along um, right before Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. That is basically for 2018 going forward, which we'll file next year. So, most of just about all that law really has no bearing, if you will, on the 17 return we're filing now. So, always a good mention to keep that in mind. The other thing is because of the huge changes, I should say, or big changes in terms of uh, what's coming and what's, like, for example, the person is gone. The standard deduction is doubled. There's all kinds of other tax provisions to be aware of. Not a bad idea to do some tax planning this year, more than ever, because you don't want to have a big surprise, either a bigger refund or you might owe or a smaller refund when you file next year because of those changes and how they affect people and the uh, withholding tables that are being used differently by employers now to withhold money from paychecks from, from workers and all that. Um, there's changes in business for C-Corps and S-Corps. So there's all kinds of stuff going on there Uh, and it's not a bad idea to consider some planning here as you make your way to 2018
1: sounds good it's mr rafael Tolino with the irs a little planning that's if you have a cpa when you dump off your materials to have him you know prepare your taxes. say hey when this is all said and done can we talk about what i should be doing for 2018 2019 as we go forward Uh, because they know the laws and they're pretty prepared and they'll know the tax deductions that you should start counting on Um, A good CPA, by the way, will always run two scenarios with you. Like, for instance, if you're married, he'll say, okay, if you file married, here's where your taxes are going to be. If you file uh, married, filed instead of jointly, but singly, um, separate, you hear what your taxes would be as individuals and as couples. A good CPA will do that, just FYI, Um, throwing that out there for you as that's my job, right? 800-516-1220 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about money, investing, and more. We'll have Raphael on again as we get closer to tax time, tax day. But at this point in time, we've got about 30 days. Remember the good old like movies and TV dads? They would go up and like, oh, it's tax time. And they'd be sitting at their desk with a calculator and like a pen in their hair or above their ear. And they'd be hitting the calculator and paper would be coming out of it. And then you just got to the point where you're like, I think I need to hire a CPA to do this. TurboTax is good for its day, but if you get complicated and have kids and houses and such, it can get to be a little bit too little for you. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Show, Twitter Rob Show, YouTube Rob Show. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy about calling the show. I kind of dig you guys, so it's why I'm still doing that. This. A lot of Americans are lagging retirement. It's high time that you don't lag retirement. It's high time that you get a blueprint for retirement. Um, according to a recent study, only 18% of Americans are confident they'll have the income needed for comfortable retirement. So let's stop the negative sentiment with the blueprint, including, you know, um, having a plan. It'll just it it'll help you. So I think, you know, you have to have a financial goal to start with. So some would say 10 times your income before you retire. Some would say 20. So, you know, if you find the average uh, cost For Americans between 64 and 74, which is a large chunk of retirement, it's about $45,000 a year, which basically means you need to pull in about a million dollars. A million dollars in assets will cover $45,000 a year. Um, Social Security is only going to cover 20 to 30%. um, But a million dollars is also going to be taxed. So um, you need post-tax a million dollars in purchasing power. The earlier you start, the more time your money has to grow. Nearly two-thirds of generation Xers are kept up at night thinking about financing their retirement. When the answer is right in front of them, the best thing you could do is start saving. Deposit as much as allowed into your 401k before considering any other retirement product, in my opinion. Some people like CFP Chad Burton will start getting, you know, splitting the hairs and telling you, you know, IRA, Roth IRA. 401k out to the matching things along those lines. Um, A company sponsored 401k plans typically is a pretty good investment vehicle. Um, But you also need to start thinking about retirement and talking about retirement and setting a goal about retirement and then, you know, um, weighting your portfolio appropriately. It's important to rebalance your retirement portfolio, especially as you get closer to retirement so that your portfolio doesn't stray too much from its target portfolios don't need to be frequently traded, but you should be rebalancing your portfolio at least once a year. If stocks go up or down significantly during the year, you it can create opportunities to rebalance. And with mutual funds, you tend to sell some of your winners and buy more of your losers, because your mutual funds, and with stocks, I hold on to Apple kind of thing. I keep the winner, and I sell the losers. But with mutual funds, my thought is is that you know, if you started with, let's say, 25 percent, 20 percent waiting on international. And international has a good year. So it goes up to almost 30% of your 401k. Uh, small caps have had a bad year, hypothetically. So what you would do is you would sell some of your winner. And if you started with 20% international, it became 30%. And if you started with 20% small cap and it became like 15%, you would sell some of that winner to rebalance it and buy more of the loser if that is your long-term goal. So think about rebalancing on a regular basis. Um, A lot of times, marriages and businesses take unexpected turns. So be sure to have a portion of your assets or savings separated for a rainy day or an unexpected event. A lot of individuals fall victim to the unforeseen events, but it's always nice to have financial security when you need it the most. Start planning for early retirement, even if you don't wind up leaving the workforce early. Uh, um, My brother, Clint. Man, aren't old names... uh, old? The older generation name's fantastic. So my oldest brother's guy named Clint. And uh, he used to, he's an oil software guy. So he would, he worked for Saudi Aramco until they started cutting off Americans' heads in the Middle East. And Saudi Aramco was like, we can't protect you. You need to to go back to the States. So he comes back to the States. And at age 50, he ran into a little bit of age discrimination where companies wanted younger workers So cut 10 years off your anticipated retirement date and save as much as possible to get to that goal just in case you need it. Instead of thinking that you have 20 years to save, start saving as if you only had 10 and watch the money add up and then you can take your foot off the gas if you need to. Uh, Another idea that I have for you is balance your investment risk tolerance. This ultimately includes how much risk you can afford to take both financially and emotionally. Um, which is a pretty big deal. Investors who are trying to make up for lost time often lose money by taking on too much risk. On the other hand, investors who are way too conservative with their money may not only find themselves without having enough to retire, but they also may find themselves that due to the negative impact of inflation, they're losing money. Inflation is growing at about 2% a year right now. So buying power is super important. You need to get more than 2% returns. So historically in retirement, you tend to take, um, you know three years and you put it in like a cash equivalent so that you have three years of your income needs safe. And the rest of it, you expose to risk because that rest of it has to beat inflation. Don't wait until you're 61. um, to Start planning for when you're going to take your social security payments. A lot of people are like, I want to take it as soon as I can. I want my money. And the longer you wait, the more you get. And the longer you wait, it's actually a pretty good investment return. Um, It gives you ample time to work with a qualified retirement, you know, income idea if you start thinking about at age 50. So, you know, AARP, the American Association of Retired People, for a reason, they send out that concept of, um, for a reason, they send out the concept of, like, hey, you're 50, and do you want to join AARP today? And it's kind of a, a, a stupid rite of passage for Americans. When, when you turn 50, an old people's organization reaches out to you. Um, and that sucks, right? So, Because isn't 50 the new 40 or something stupid? Retirees live longer and longer and longer, so you need to save more and more. A lot of men marry younger women in our society, so women need to save more and more because they're going to be outliving their, their bows, I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money investing and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube.